Revelation chapter 8. Now, we have um, the, 7 was a, kind of an interlude, and then the, the wrath begins again. The destruction happens. The judgment is poured out again. And I gave you this chart, or I showed you this chart um, several weeks ago, and I'm still of the belief that what we're seeing happen is this bottom version. That there are multiple ways of looking at the, the seven seals being broken, the seven trumpets, seven bowls. And I don't think any of these are wrong. Um, I just think the bottom one makes the most sense to me. But I'm not saying I'm right. I'm just saying it makes the most sense in my brain, and so therefore that's the one I'm going for. Um, I think the others could be just as valid, but I think the bottom one makes more sense. And what it essentially says is that when you read through Revelation from 6 to 19, it's not um, seven seals, then seven trumpets, and then seven bowls. That's a possibility, but it seems what's happening is that as the seals are broken, then when the seventh seal is broken, the sixth trumpets are sounded. When the seventh trumpet is sounded, then the bowls are poured out. So that what you really have happen is in the seventh seal, all the trumpets and all the bowls are happening in one continuous event. Because when you start trying to put a timeline together, it's like, well, you can do the math, and some of you have done it. Well, a third's burnt up here, this is here, this is here, this is here, this is here. It kind of becomes like, I don't know what's going on. Um, now, is it more sequential in a straight line? I, I'm, I'm okay with that interpretation of it as well. Um, but for what makes most sense in my brain and what I'm reading is a bottom, the bottom idea that these are kind of, they're, they're not overlapping, they're contiguous. They happen at the same time. Is that the right word? It's a big word and I said it, so I know it sounds smart now. It's just all happening together, okay? That's where we're at. Um, Revelation 8, 1. When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Is anyone confused by that? So we're going to have like a, well, we're going to open the seal, but we got, let's just wait 30 minutes. We opened it, but let's just chill for a little bit. Well, shouldn't we go? You opened the seal, shouldn't you? So I kind of wrestled with this, of what's happening, what's going on. But I think if we take the big picture of what we've seen from 4, 5, 6, 7, 2, 8, that we're seeing a picture of heaven worshiping. The four living creatures, the elders, the saints, they're all worshiping. The four living creatures are saying, holy, holy, holy. Worship changes in chapter 6, or 5, I'm sorry. You have all this that directs towards the Lamb. You have all these things happening, and then... That the worship of heaven, the worship in heaven of God, ends. No more singing, no more. There's a pause. There's a complete mode of silence. And then the trumpet blast. Then sound. Then, well, what is that? Well, we're going to find out in a few minutes that when those first trumpets are sounded, and what happens is the prayers of the saints, the prayers of all who have gathered Every time on your knees in a church, that all of those prayers are then collected and then they usher in, they burn, they sort of thrown down on earth as judgment. That worship pauses for half an hour for God to take into account all the prayers that have happened for all of eternity. This is you and I entering into this story in this moment. And there's a 30 minute pause. For all of heaven to take a break in worshiping to see that God cares deeply for the prayers of those who call his name. 
Like, I picture this as, I mean, I was, I wasn't, I'm still not a very good athlete. Wasn't a very good athlete growing up. But I remember playing baseball, and you'd get up on the, get ready to get up on the plate, and you're, you know, hanging out, and you get out to the, and sometimes you grab some dirt, and you rub it when you're in the warm-up, you know, you're trying to get ready, and you want to get some, and you just grab the bat, and you're getting ready, and then in that moment, like, everything is kind of blocked out, Right? I mean, you talk to anybody that's been on a basketball court and on a baseball field. You talk to anybody. And people yell and scream and do all that stuff. And every athlete in the middle says, did you hear me yelling for you? No. Why am I even yelling? Like, it's a continuous thing. Like, I grew up in Indiana where we yelled all the time. You yelled at the referee. You yelled at people. As a high school kid, you, the student section, you would make fun of the other players, try to get in their heads. It was always kind of, we were brutal. Um, and it's, like, that's why I don't really understand golf. I don't... <laughs> I don't get it. Um, I'm only, I've done some driving range, some putt-putts and stuff, and my, that's why my favorite movie, one of my favorite movies ever, ever is Happy Gilmore. I love that movie. I know it's like, like my intelligence level just went down 17 notches for you all, but I love that movie. So like, if you can't hit that little ball with people yelling at you, then you're not an athlete. Like, you just need to go away. Like, or complete silence. It's ice skating. No, yell at them. Like, you suck. Like, you just, nobody, would, we wouldn't do that, right? So we have certain sports that we see the pause. Like in the movie Gladiator, like when, when Matt, he grabs his, he like gets in the dirt, he rubs some dirt because his hands are going to be sweaty and keep a hold of that. Like there's, there's a pause, there's an anticipation, there's a getting ready to go to battle, there's a getting ready for what's about to happen. There's this brief moment where you collect your thoughts and then you go for it. That's what we're seeing in Revelation 8.1. Is it all of heaven? Is the seals have been broken? We're already seeing some destruction happen. And then here's this, this destruction that's going to continue into this sinful world. And there's a pause for 30 minutes for all of heaven to take a big, deep breath. It's coming. It's coming. Think of that. For worship of God to pause for 30 minutes. For everyone to see the importance of what's about to happen next paints a drastic picture of our prayers mattering to God. That our prayers are part of the wrath of God being poured out on a broken world. Now, why I say that is that we're going to read it in a couple in a minute. How many times have you felt like your prayers are unanswered? A lot, a couple, a few. I think if we, we talked a couple weeks ago about under the altar, the martyrs, like people martyr for faith. But this is a collection of all prayer, of all prayer for safe travel on the road yesterday driving back from Casper. Of, I don't know what to do about my job. I don't know what degree to seek. I don't know what to do about this test. I don't know what to, to do about this. I had a fight with my wife. I'm not sure what's going to happen. I need to, I, is she going to forgive me one more time? I'm what's going to, I don't. I'm sick, I got cancer, I've got I gotta get treatment, I gotta get a scan done, I've gotta do this. Well, I got I got a nail in my tire. That stinks, and I gotta find time tomorrow to put a hole a plug the hole in the tire. And then, oh, we're having global pandemics of the coronavirus, and God are you gonna move in that, and well, I've got a hangnail, and I don't like that, and it burns, and Lord, please take the pain away. And I really want this great gift of praise to be poured out on this. I, I'm enjoying this, and then I've I've been abused. In a place where it's broken my heart to where it's hard for me to receive affection from anyone of the opposite sex because I was abused by this person in my life. 
And I don't know if I can extend forgiveness in that. And then, well, where are we going to go on vacation? I don't know where. I mean, we got some time and extra cash. And then, well, there's a whole Holocaust. We celebrate the 70th. We didn't celebrate. We recognize the 75th anniversary of the Holocaust. And millions of people killed. Millions of people killed out of violence and destruction and pride and wicked science and just evil. And then I'm not sure what the next book I want to read. So, Lord, guide me to the next book I want to read. Like, there's a multitude of things that we pray for before our Lord. A multitude of things, and they're all right and good, and we should. All of that collected in what we're about to read. All of it collected and given to be the catalyst for his wrath to be poured on the earth. Your prayers are heard. Your prayers are effective. Sometimes we get the blessing from God of seeing that happen on earth. People are healed. Miracles happen. Forgiveness is given. Amazing things. Clarity is given to you as you pray for God for wisdom and guidance. And sometimes we feel like, I don't know what's going on. They all matter. They all matter. A quote from uh, Leon Morris. The saints appear insignificant to men at large. But in the sight of God, they matter. Even great cosmic cataclysms are held back on their account, and the praises of the angels give way to silence so that the saints may be heard. I love that. The praises of the angels give way to silence so that the saints, your prayers are heard. Your prayers are heard. Verse 2. Then I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. Um, trumpets are a continual theme in the Old Testament and into the New, where you have, uh, like, when the law was given a trumpet sound, right? The law is given a trumpet sound. And then you have uh, in Jericho, where you have, they're marching around the city, they're going around the city seven times, trumpets blow, it all falls down. Jesus says there'll be trumpets heralding in his second coming, or when he comes, like, there's, the trumpet is, this isn't, this isn't a, a, a brass section of the band. Or you've got the, the trumpet, and people are playing it. Well, that's the trombone. They're playing their trumpet. Clearly, I'm not a musician. Um, this isn't like a brass trumpet. This isn't like, you know, a Disney movie and zippity-doo-dah and songs and just, you know, the band, and it's all going crazy. And these are the shafar, the horns. They, they call, they're a call to battle. They're a call of warning. They're a call of celebration. They You put three or four blasts for certain things. We told the whole community would hear. It's from the... the the walls and the rooftops and in church and in celebration and like this is this is a giant heralding this is coming and so for these seven angels and if you go into extra biblical sources you know jewish text and first enoch they're given names they have they have um, personalities they have it's all there's there's a, a continuation from the old to the new and to the end times and to when it's all over that the trumpets are sounding they're bringing this in for everyone to hear. There is no question where this is coming from. This is coming from God, and it's pouring out on everything. So the trumpets sound, and everyone hears it. These seven angels are going to sound these trumpets. Verses 3 and 4. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer. And he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. So this is where your prayers are stored. 
this this bowl. This it's kind of um, it's like a coal bed, or if you've ever had a, a, a campfire, or maybe, it's it's like it's like the it's not just a bowl bowl, but it's a flat. That's what it's a bowl. We'll just leave it at that. It's a bowl, and in this bowl is all of the prayers that have ever been prayed to God. And then what's added is incense, which is burned as worship. So your, yours and my prayers are then mixed with incense and burned before the Lord as an act of worship. Every prayer you've ever prayed is an act of worship before the Lord. And I know, most of us, if you either watched Bruce Almighty, you think of the post-it note scene where some of you have seen it. Bruce Almighty sees all, all the prayers hitting. Like, we, we, this is God. Like, stop trying to overthink it. It drives me a little nuts when I'm in apologetic-type conversations. Well, how is it possible for all the prayers of... The one who created everything by speaking, you think he has a problem storing prayers in a bowl? Like, come on. Nothing? Everything. I think he can handle some prayer bowls. I think he can handle that. I mean, good grief. My iPhone, right now, between my Bible software and a Kindle app, there's 3,000 books on my phone right now. I've not read them all, just 2,800 of them. But there's, there's, I've got 3,000 books on my phone, and that's not even a fraction of the memory that's on it. And you think that God's going to struggle to put the prayers of eternity into a bowl? Like just, just please get over yourself, okay? It's God the Father. He's taken all the prayers of forever into this bowl and this beautiful picture of the in that your your cries, every tear, every praise, every joy is collected and used in this moment. Now I know, we've talked about this, it's hard for us in Western culture when we have it pretty good. But think about the times when this country has been brought to its knees, how prayer pours out. I mean, the one, the most recent of my memories is when 9-11 happened. Churches swelled. There was calls for prayer Everywhere. And as time moves on, society's kind of moving on, kind of backs off some. I promise you that in and around all that's happening in, in China with this virus, people are praying. When the dust bowl hit, when the depression hit, I promise you people were on their knees praying. And we have a bit of a struggle seeing that because... Things are pretty good here. I'm not saying they're perfect. I'm not saying your life's perfect and there's no struggles, but we're not dealing with those kind of cataclysmic things here. When Katrina hits, weren't people praying? Of course they were. But all of those prayers are an act of worship before God. And He think of all it. Think of when you see this, what's about to happen next. That God has heard all of those cries. He's heard them all. And this angel shows up with a bowl, and he combines the prayers collected with incense and says this is an offering before the Lord. And he holds them up in a hand so that God can see them, can smell the aroma of worship being poured into him. And then, verse 5. Then the angel took that censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Now, some translations will say, like if you have a Bible like mine that has little numbers, says the thunder or the rumblings could have also been voices or sounds. Like, 
pray, praise or prayers or ah, it's happening. Or, but what's, hap- what's going on in this moment is that from this worship, so he mixes it, incense, prayers, mixes it. It's there before the Lord, takes fire from the altar, sacrificial fire from the altar, adds it to the prayers of the saints, and then casts it upon the earth. And in that moment, God enters into the judgment. He enters into this space. We've seen as the other seals have been broken, there's been mountains crumbling, there's been all kinds of cataclysms and earthquakes and volcanoes, there's been all kinds of stuff. And then what you're seeing here is a picture of God that we saw at Mount Sinai, we see in the Exodus, that thunder, rumbling, sounds, flashes of lightning and earthquake. God is entering into the wrath. He's not just saying... Angels do it. Break the seal. Get it. He's entering into this space. That's significant. That as the six seals are broken, there's a pause. And because of the prayers of the saints, God enters into the presence of this wrath. I know this is all, it can be really confusing. I just want you to see and hear that God cares about you. He cares deeply for his glory to be had, he cares for the name of Jesus to be proclaimed. He cares deeply for that because that's who he is. He deserves the glory given to him. But he also cares about your individual heart. The church has tried to, over the years, do some crazy things. Like, for seasons, it's all about just you. You're the apple of God's eye. And if you're the only one that he go to the cross for, he go just for you. Because you're that special, that important, and gosh darn it, I like you. Remember that from Saturday Night Live, anybody? And that can get dangerous. Because then all of a sudden you feel like you're the only one that matters to God. He doesn't care about his glory. He's all about you. You're perfect. And then when the rug is pulled out from under you, you're like, well, I thought God loved me. I thought he's for me. I'm the apple of his eye. He has a personal relationship with me. I'm the only one that matters. And it shakes you. If you go the other end and say it's all about God's glory, that your pain, your suffering, everything you go through is all about the glory of God, then you begin to think, well, my life doesn't matter. God doesn't care about me. It's all about the glory of God. Whatever I'm going through, he doesn't listen. He's not there. It's just about the glory of God. The truth is both. He infinitely cares about his glory being known because he can't have his glory given to anything else. Why would he allow the why would he have glory to anything subservient to him? It all must go to him. But he cares infinitely about your personal life, your what's going on with you individually, because you individually are a worshiper that brings him glory. He cares infinitely for you. And in this moment, the angel takes this truth of prayer for your life and your heart and what you give before God. And he says, I'm going to enter into this judgment with the power of your prayer. You're with me in the coming of the end. And he throws prayers to the earth. And a third is about to be burned up. Our lives are active in God's judgment and wrath on a sinful world. And it also means that when you feel like your prayers aren't being answered, they will be eventually. It might not be in healing here. It might not be in safety here. It might not be how you want. But someday, the world is going to be made right because of your prayers, fueling God stepping into this mix. Now what we see in the next couple Spots here. Yeah, we'll just move on. Um, 
that the seven trumpets are prepared to blow. The seven angels who have the seven trumpets are about to blow these trumpets. So there's a, they're there, they're called in, the prayers are offered up, and then boom, the trumpets unfold. Now, these trumpets um, are parallel to what we see in the plagues given to Egypt to let, when Moses asks the Pharaoh to let his people go. And the Pharaoh refuses, and then he tells them the plagues that are going to come, and there's an overlap here. There's, there's connections between these trumpets and the plagues of Egypt. Um, and so, I mean, I can give this to you if you want it, but there's a clear connection between them. The first plague, or the sixth plague and the first trumpet, the second trumpet, the first plague, you guys can read. It's right there. So you're going to see all this stuff laid out, where a third of the land is burned up, which is like the festering boils. When the sea is turned to blood, a third of the creatures die, the Niles turn to blood, the fish die, springs turn bitter like the Nile, and there's a time of darkness. The ninth plague is darkness upon the earth, and the fourth trumpet ushers in a similar situation. So why would God do that? Um, it, it's my, well, I mean, I, some other people agree with me. They write books and are professors, so I'm going to say they agree with me. Um, you know, it's a joke, right? Okay. <laughs> this is... This is God showing the world who's still here. If we are rapture pre-tribulation people, that if the church is gone from this, then the believers are not here. So what's left would be the unbelievers. And if you are not a rapture person, then this is for the whole earth to see, that we would all see this collectively together. But the point is that when this happens, people are going to go, I think I've heard this before. The rivers turned red like blood? I think I've heard this before. I think maybe there was an old Charlton Heston movie on Amazon Prime I saw once. I think maybe somebody taught me about this. I think, I think my grandmother took me to Sunday school once, and I went to this church and they talked about this. I think, there was, I think there was a time there was darkness. I think maybe there was a time when dust and people were covered in boils because I think there might have been something. I think God's done this before. He's redoing what he's already done. And he's showing that when you turn from him, you refuse to heed his call. Pain comes. It also tells us, again, we've seen this over and over and over again throughout scripture, that people who refuse to repent and their judgment on them is an eternal suffering in hell place where there's no hope, no love, no presence of God, that Jesus reigns and rules over hell, that it's not like it's Satan over here, we'll see that later, that for eternity, this is a place of judgment, that people don't just change their stripes. Not in judgment. Now we all come to faith and we all change our stripes and wash in the blood of the Lamb. That's, we're all there. If you're a believer in Christ, that's where you're at secure in that. But Jesus gives us a, a parable in the Gospels, where Lazarus the rich man is in hell, not repenting, not really saying, I wish to be different. Instead, he calls to heaven and says, can you have Lazarus bring me some water? And people try to take that, that parable out of context. It's not about us, about heaven and hell communicating. It's Jesus saying that people who refuse the Spirit of God, who push back against the Spirit, they don't change. They don't change. There's not going to be anyone in hell going, this is unfair. I shouldn't be here. What is happening? I want to change. It's, you're going to see that all this destruction that's about to come, 
people still go, I'm not going to believe in that. I can't believe in an evil God that would send those things. Even though they have the cultural memory, if not of being taught, of the plagues in Egypt. It's happening before their eyes. They're going to run like the people want mountains to crush them instead of repenting. Total destruction. The first angel blows his trumpet. There fall hail and fire mixed with blood, and these were thrown upon the earth. And a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all green grass was burned up. So this judgment, we've seen mountains crumble, earthquakes, people, and now this judgment is being poured upon the planet itself. And that's why, you know, we read in the New Testament that all creation groans for the coming of the sons of God, that even creation has been subjected to the, the sinful world, and even creation is going to be in the wrath. That the earth is going to be burned up and wiped out so there's a new heaven and a new earth brought in by our king. Now, you're going to see a third mentioned, I think it's 13 times in the next couple of verses. And I tried to dig into, like, what's this mean? And some people say it's Trinitarian because it's three. Um, but what most people would land on is it, it's not an exact number. It's just saying that it's a lot of destruction, but not total destruction. Just kind of land there. So a third is burned up, third of trees, third of grass, hail and fire. Um, verses 8 and 9. The second angel blew his trumpet, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea. And a third of the sea became blood. A third of the living creatures of the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. Again, something like a mountain burning with fire. I don't know. Big, destructive. I don't know if that's asteroids, if it's law. I don't. Something like a mountain, kind of big. We see them every day out our windows. Imagine that falling from the sky, burning in fire. Hitting and wiping out a third of the sea life, the sea life and ships being destroyed. 10 and 11. The third angel blew his trumpet, and a great star fell from heaven, blazing like a torch. And it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of this star is Wormwood. A third of the waters become... A third of the waters became wormwood, and many the people died from the water because it had been made bitter. So you get a destruction of fresh water, but then people die because the waters become... So this, there, there's some length here that's not explained to us. Because you don't just destroy water one day, and then someone takes one... It doesn't, doesn't happen in an instant like that. The, the, something happens to cause the water to be bitter, and then over time, people die because this is not okay to drink. And I know you, know, you know, you can't live three days without water. Maybe it's three days. But it's not an instantaneous for the people who are here consuming it. So we have the sea. We have ships. We have fresh water sources being destroyed. And then in 12, the fourth angel blew his trumpet. And a third of the sun was struck. And a third of the moon and a third of the stars. So the third of their light might be darkened. And a third of the day might be kept from shining. And likewise, a third of the night. Not total destruction of the heavenly bodies, not total destruction of daylight, but think of what this is going to usher in. If we lose a third of sunlight, then it's going to cause growing and harvest, and everything's going to be completely taken out of whack. A third of the moon, you talk about the tides and everything that's affected by the moon and its gravity upon the earth, and like all those things, it, it, there's a, a collective collapse of everything that we see as natural and normal, and it shows us that we can't put our faith in any of those things. You can't even put your faith that the sun is going to shine tomorrow. I mean, there's days it's cloudy. 
And if you live in the Midwest where we grew up in Indiana, there's like weeks where there's no sun. Uh, Amber's mom was shocked at how much sunshine she had last week when she was here because it was cold, but man, the sunshine. This is crazy. None of us wake up and go, I bet tomorrow there'll be a third less sunshine because there'll be a chunk taken out like a bite of a cookie from the sun. Nobody thinks that. I don't really think that's what's being said here, but you know, bear with me. It's just painting a picture that everything that you put your faith and trust in as normal and true is not worth putting your faith and trust in holistically. I'm going to read a quote because I'm good at stealing quotes. So I'm going to read it to you. The first trumpet shows that the material world is no answer. The second and third addresses sea trade, including food supply. The fourth focuses on life itself and the heat and light of celestial bodies. The four together prove that those who live only for this world have chosen foolishly. For only in God is there true life. Earthly things turn on us and we dare not depend on them. This is God telling all the people that are on the planet, whether you believe that the believers are raptured or we're here for the tribulation, whatever you believe. Whoever is left on the planet is seeing that the stuff they put their faith in is pointless. For you and I, like you, you put your faith in your health. And then you get the phone call or the blood work comes back. You put your faith and trust in your job and what, how you provide for your family. And all it takes is a stock market crash, a supply chain, supply chain issue, um, something hits, and it's done. A lot of small businesses are a contract away from having to fold up. The city, think of one catastrophic thing hits the city and how many city employees are going to have to look for something else. We're all on the verge of all of that crumbling. You put all your money in retirement. I'm saving, I'm saving, I'm saving. I'm going to retire when I'm 55. I'm going to be out of here. I've saved it all up. It's piles and piles and piles of money. I've been working really hard. And then you get cancer at 51 and die. Well, there goes my retirement. You don't get to enjoy any of it. Put my faith in it. I put my faith and trust in. I mean, this is, I was a driver's ed instructor. This is classic driver's ed. You put your faith and trust in the light, you just drive through when it's green, and then some idiot's not paying attention, you get sideswiped, or you get T-boned. What do you teach everybody? Look both ways when you're going through the intersection. Like, pay attention. What are you doing? Like, I have a son about to start driving. Like, pay attention. That person there is not paying attention. It can anything. Put your faith and trust in all this stuff. Do you put your faith and trust in God? Because it can all crumble. All this can crumble. That's what the point of these trumpets is telling us, is that you get to put your faith in God. And even when it's bad, and I, I mean, I look around this room, and I know a lot of your stories, and I know the pain you've been through, whether it's cancer and upset, and things have happened, and relationships are broken, and job challenges, and, and I can just, I can see it in your faces. And if you put all of your faith and hope and trust in those things, it gets pulled out from under you. And God's telling us in Revelation 8 that your prayers are effective in fixing this thing, but it has to be destroyed first. It has to be cleansed first, and we get a new heaven and a new earth. But don't put your faith and trust in all those things. Now, I'm not saying that tomorrow we all quit our jobs and just come to the church and all sit around and look at each other. I'm not saying that. Work hard. Do that. God's bless you in amazing ways. Take care of your family. Do all of these things. Like, 
praise God for all the good that's happened, but you don't put all of your faith and hope and trust in those things. It's in Him. And when the world is shattered all around us, that's proof positive. I shouldn't have put my trust in my building and my boat and the fresh water because it's all gone. It's all gone. I need to put my faith in God. He ends this and closes in verse 13. This will stop for the day. Then I looked and heard an eagle crying in a loud voice that flew directly overhead. Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth at the blast of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. It's, all, it's, it's this like sudden pause. This quick little, this is bad. But it's about to become worse. That at the darkest you've been, there's a potential for it to be worse. That this eagle, and I, don't, again, don't get all wrapped up in talking eagles saying, whoa. Okay? An eagle flies over in the midst of all this destruction, and the woe is, <coughs> the woes on the earth. Those who are still here, pain continuing. This isn't the end. This is only four trumpets. Three more are coming. And when this is all done, the trumpets, the bowls, when this is all done, there's nothing left. And there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. So what's that leave us with? The unfolding of the end of the world is going to happen because of the prayers of the saints. Like our prayers are part of the story of God cleansing the earth and creating a new heaven and new earth for us to be. There has to be the destruction. There can't be a, a renewal of a broken planet. There must be new. That's why we say over and over again that when you come to Christ, you're a new creation. You get a new heart. You're given. That's why Jesus said, and one of the leaders is debating over, how do I get born again? How am I born again? I can't go back to my mother's womb. It's a spiritual rebirth. But even in that, to have a resurrection body that's never going to die and never have problems, there's going to have to be a destruction. You're going to have to die. Or, if, or rapture, the coming of Christ. And in this miraculous moment, when the whole earth is destroyed, it's burnt up, a new heaven, new earth, a new garden of Eden, it's going to be, I mean, there's measurements, we'll get to it later, there's measurements of how big this place is going to be. Like this, there's going to be a new heaven, you get a resurrection body. No more sickness, no more, like, I'm, I'm hoping for like, I was pretty happy about 27. My 27-year-old, I was in pretty good shape, and I could have rocked that speedo then. But that's, right? I don't know. I don't know what that looks like. I don't know about infants that have gone before the Lord. I don't know if, about people who are 90 and go home to be with the Lord. And then I, I, don't, I don't understand any of that. All I know is that we're going to have resurrection bodies. We're going to have personality. We're going to have conversations with God and with each other. And that doesn't happen until the whole planet is cleansed and destroyed and a new one is created. And as you're hearing about the sun being destroyed, a third of it, we see clearly that we won't even need the sun because the glory of God is going to shine on this new planet. So it makes sense that even the heavenly bodies are going to be destroyed so we have a new creation. That all happens with the worship of God collected with our prayers. It doesn't make the tears fall any easier when you're distraught 
and in pain. But it gives me great hope that God hears and he is going to respond. And the trumpets remind us that the world is going to be judgment. We're going to be judged. Um, that there's a judgment coming. That these trumpets and how they're connected to what we see out of the book of Exodus, how we see it and what happened in Egypt with Moses, that it's a continuation of the same story across generations. That the Bible is complete in its totality, that it tells the same story of God redeeming and rescuing his people, and in that there must be judgment on those who would be against God. It's not something new. It's a continuation. So I want to leave you with this quote from John Piper. We should wrestle in prayer and fasting for the things we know are God's. Sorry. Our God's will in our lives and families and our church and our city and our world. So he's saying, we should pray. We should fast and pray for all of these things. But by and large, we should probably leave it to God how he will use angels to get his work done. That we pray, but we have to, we, we, we pray this every week. We pray the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray this every week. We ask God for our daily bread. We want the daily renewals, the daily movements of grace, the daily renewal or, uh, to continually encourage us in our salvation. And we say, your will be done. So you pray for everything. I would never tell you not to pray. Well, okay. There's one thing I'd tell you not to pray for. Because my prayer life started with praying for gifts at Christmas. God, if you're real, I'll get that G.I. Joe hovercraft. And I got that G.I. Joe hovercraft. So God became very real to me. No. It's not. Like that, those kind of prayers are not. The, that's, that's probably the, the one category of prayer I'd say. Just stay away from that. But even then, I would say, especially for children, go for it. You gave them to pray. God hears all of your prayers. He hears all of your prayers. Pray for everything with the maturity of faith to know that God will respond in his timing, his will, for his story to be known. There's a maturity there when we say the Lord's Prayer every week here that we're trying to get you to see. It's not just a ritual we do because we've done it forever. It's for us to continually see in front of our faces that it's about God's will to be done on this earth as it is in heaven. That we desperately want him to move in the areas that we're calling on him. We also understand that God's story is much bigger than us. And we accept that. So, as we close in prayer, I hope that you see that your prayers matter. That God hears them all. And if he doesn't respond exactly how you want, there's coming a day when those prayers will be used in worship to bring about a new heaven and new earth. That should be beautiful to us all.